100 and Jani is going to read that passage and second Bible reading uh, is from Psalms 100 uh, from page 630. Verse 1. Shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and is caught with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name, for the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. This is the word of God. Thank you, Yanni. Now, I wonder if you're feeling a bit guilty for overeating over the last week. Uh, I felt a bit of that, so this week we over-exercised. Uh, we went out each, uh, most evenings for a bike ride, for a walk. Probably didn't burn enough calories, but we feel better for it anyway. But anyway, um, from, uh, on behalf of uh, my family, we'd like to also, along with Chris, thank you as well for your love and support of us this year in the ministry, and, and it's just a wonderful joy to be serving together like this, how we've been doing. So thank you for that. But we're going to have a look at this very short psalm, a wonderful psalm, so let's pray to God once again. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your words to us. We pray that as we reflect on the year and as we think about the year ahead, that you might grant us all a heart of thankfulness. And so we pray, Lord, that you might do that as we think and reflect on this psalm. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've come to the last day of 2017, and it's always very interesting to just reflect. It's, in fact, quite important to reflect on the year that has been. And so what has happened this past year in the world of 2017? Well, there have been some good news and some bad news. Here are some of them. Donald Trump inaugurated as the 45th president. Good news to some, bad news to many. Uh, this year we celebrated the 500 years, 500th year from the, uh, of the Reformation. Since the Reformation, that was a wonderful joy for us. Or next, Prince Harry gets engaged. Good news for some, bad news for many ladies who were hoping to become princesses. Or perhaps better news for some was this, the release of Star Wars, return of, the, I mean, The Last Jedi. We watched it the other week, it was, it was okay. But anyway, um, or for some, this news, good news for some, bad news for some, for many, and that is Australia regains the Ashes. Now, I have no idea what the cricket is about, so I had to ask Jono, did, the, did Australia win the Ashes? They said they did, so here it is. They won. So, lots has happened in 2017. Some good and some bad. But how about your life in your year? 2017, how was that for you? Was it a, a good year or was it a bad year? Was it a year with many joys or was it a year with many tears? Was it a year with many laughs? Or was it a year with many, many sadness, much sadness? Or was it a year with wonderful friends and companionship around? Or was it a year with many moments of loneliness? How was the year for you? Well, I know for some of us, it was a good year. It was a wonderful, joyful year. 
for us personally. I, I had the great privilege of officiating three weddings, so three new uh, married couples in my circle this year, and it was a wonderful joy doing that. One of them was a guy I taught in youth group when he was high, in high school still, about 15 years ago. He's grown up, he's become a Christian, and got to marry him. So wonderful joy and privilege to be involved in that way. In the life of our church family, wonderful joys there too. Many new additions to our church family. Many new people have joined this church as their church family. Many have come to this church, and many have become Christians as well. What wonderful joy that is. But of course, for some of us, it has been a painful year. An extremely overwhelmingly difficult year. For some, it was dealing with health problems. It was a year dealing with chronic illnesses, hospitalisation, surgery, and for some, even cancer. I mean, that's, that's horrifying. There's so much uncertainty with that. And for some, it was a year dealing with depression and anxiety, and that can be debilitating. Or for some, with work, it was a year that was difficult, looking for work, or a lack of fulfilment and joy from work or disappointments and hardship and tension and stress and the pressure of work. It wasn't good at all. Or for some, it's deeply personal. Family life where there's meant to be joy and peace, but it's become a place of fighting and chaos and conflict where careless words are just thrown around the house. Or for some, it was a year dealing with heartbreaking, broken relationships. For some, it was a difficult year, a year losing someone you love. Well, for some of us it was a good year, but some of us it was a bad year. But now that we've come to the end, how are we meant to think of this past year? If it was a good year, do we then praise God for that? I had a good year, God, thank you, and I'll praise you. But if I had a bad year, then I curse God. Is that what we do now by the end of this year? What do you do? How are we meant to think that God's only good to us if we had a good time? And God suddenly becomes bad to us if we had a bad year. So how are we meant to think about God as we reflect on this year? Well, what we find in this really short but wonderful psalm is something we might find hard to express. But this psalm calls us all to praise God and to thank him. And we do so not despite the year, but because of the year. Because of this year, I still thank and praise God. And so let's have a look at this psalm. Do, do keep your Bibles open. So what did this psalmist do? Well, he begins by breaking out in praise and thanksgiving to God. We see his joy, his jubilation, his, his shouting and his singing. He, he, can't, he can't contain his own joy. Look at verse 1 and 2. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. And that's what you do when you're happy. Isn't it? At birthday parties, what do we do? We sing happy birthday. Last week at Christmas, what do you do when you're happy? You sing Christmas carols. At church each week, when we gather, what do we do? Well, we sing. It expresses what we believe. And it expresses how we feel towards God. And that's why we sing in church. In fact, if you think about it, there aren't that many groups or communities in society that get together and sing even if they can't sing. I mean, they do that at the footy matches. They do it when there's a national anthem. But not much else. I mean, at a corporate work meeting, people aren't just going to break out in song. But we Christians, we do it all the time. We do it each week at least. 
And we do it even if we're not good at singing. Have you noticed that? I mean, like me, I'm a terrible singer. Each time I try to sing, either Yvonne or Esther will say, that's out of tune, that's off, and they laugh at my expense. So don't stand next to me now when I'm singing. It will hurt your ears. In fact, don't stand next to me in heaven because you'll be hearing me for eternity. But we do it. Why do we do it? Because we believe it. Because God is worthy of praise. And so if we feel joy in our hearts, that can be reflected on our faces as well. And that's what this psalmist did. He desires that God be honoured and glorified. Look at verse 4. He continues. Enter his gates, that is to approach God with thanksgiving, and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. It's quite clear and simple, isn't it, this psalm? He's praising God. He's overjoyed. And he's thanks, showing his thanksgiving towards God. Now, if that is the attitude of this psalmist towards God, should that also be our attitude towards God? I mean, should we also praise God all the time? Or do we only praise God when times are good? That's only when God is worth praising. Or maybe we might even think that this psalmist, the guy who wrote this psalm, was only able to write these words because he had a good year. There was nothing wrong in his year. He did not experience any pain or hardship or heartbreak. Didn't even get the, you know, the dreaded hay fever. He had a good year. And that's why he was able to write this psalm. But is it right to think that way? To presume that his praise of God was in fact conditional. Conditional on the life he had. That this psalm really only applies when you have a good life. Well, you see, it doesn't take much living. It doesn't take many years of life to work out that those who love God, like us, or those who love God also lose their jobs, just like everyone else. Those who love God also find relationships difficult, just like everyone else. Those who love God also get dis disappointed with life, just like everyone else. Those who love God also experience depression, face tragedies, get cancer, just like everyone else. And so it will be quite silly to presume that the life of this psalmist will be any different to ours. He would have experienced just as many joys and just as many tears. And so why was it that he was able to write this psalm? Only five verses. What was it that allowed him to remain so full of thanksgiving in his heart towards God? What did he know that we must also know? Well, we're told why. We're told why his heart was filled with thankfulness. And that's because he knows why he is singing and he knows what he is singing about. Now, if you think about that, that's not always the case. I mean, with so many songs out there, many songs we hear and we sing to, often we don't even know what we're singing about. I mean, have you ever wondered how strange it would be for a happily married couple to be singing Taylor Swift's song, Never Ever Getting Back Together Again? I mean, that's a song about divorce. Why would you be singing that? Or how strange would it be for young teenagers uh, to be singing a song about relationships where they've never dated before, never been married, but to sing maybe, you know, the platters, this is for our oldies. Gets, uh, smoke gets in your eyes, remember that? No. <laughs> really? I'm not that old. It's a song about breaking up, so it would be silly if you're a young guy singing that type of song. But you see, this psalmist knows why he is singing. 
It's not empty, hollow praises. It's not just words to make him feel warm and fuzzy and good about it. But it is grounded in what he knows. In fact, it is grounded in who he knows. And who he knows is who we must also know. And that is this. Two things he says. The Lord is God. And secondly, the Lord is good. And so firstly, he's he's praising God because he knows that the Lord is God. Now, it's not talking about God in the generic sense that some might imagine God to be, that bearded grandfather up in the clouds or some weak, lifeless statue people bow down to. No, he's talking about the God of heaven and earth, the only God there is. And he is claiming that it is my Lord who is God. It is the Lord I worship who is the God of heaven and earth. Now, the word Lord here, we we need to understand, it is the personal name of God. In our English Bibles, in the translation, you'll see that it's all capitals, all uppercase, L-O-R-D. And that's because it's there to represent the Hebrew word Yahweh. That is the personal name of God. And so this psalmist is saying, it is my Lord, the Lord I know, who is the God of heaven and earth. The God who delivered us out of Egypt, the Lord who revealed himself as the great I am, it is him who is God of heaven and earth. And it is him who made everything, and therefore he owns everything and everyone. And so that's what he says. Look at verse 3 now. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Now some of us might think then, having read that, Why should I be thanking God if he owns me? Like that's a good thing. I don't like being owned by anyone. I'm my own man. I'm a self-made man. But to think that is to completely misunderstand what it means to be owned by God. I mean, the reality is that if God is the only creator there is and he made us, he owns us anyway. And if God is our creator, we're accountable to him whether we like it or not. But this is not to be owned by one who is careless and ruthless. This is to be owned by the one who not only made us, but loves us and is deeply, passionately concerned for us. Just reflect on that for a moment. If you can claim what this psalmist claims, if my Lord is God, then every fear I have, it has someone to go to. Because my Lord is God, I can bring it to him. I don't have to face it alone. Every anxiety I experience, it has someone to go to because my Lord is God. I don't have to deal with it alone. Every concern I have, it has someone to go to because my Lord is God, the God of heaven and earth. I don't have to bear it alone. And every moment of happiness, it has someone to go to because my Lord is God. It's all been granted by him. And so that's why this psalmist can praise the Lord. Because he's claiming, my Lord is God. The only God there is, he is my Lord, who is deeply, passionately concerned for me. But you see, that's not all. This psalmist praises God because he knows that my Lord is God. But not only that, he knows that my Lord is also good. Always good. So very good. You see, if we only understand that God is, the Lord is God, and we only merely understand that God is this almighty creator, the all-powerful supreme ruler, 
the one who will judge my life, the one who will expose my shame and guilt, the one who will call me to account on every careless word, on every evil thought, on every thoughtless deed. I mean, if that is our understanding of God, that is frightening. That's terrifying to stand before God and for him to see everything. That's terrifying, but it is true. It's just that it's incomplete. You see, he's almighty God, but he's also, also very good. It's a bit like, you know, that famous book by C.S. Lewis, Lewis, in the Narnia series, The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. There is this one scene where Susan, she asked about Aslan, the lion. You know, the lion in the books, meant to represent Jesus. And so she asked, uh, asked this question. She asked, is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. That's Susan speaking. And then Mrs. Beaver, she responds, well, that you will, dearie, and no mistake. If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or just silly. And then Lucy, the little girl, she, she said, then he isn't safe. But do you remember the response of Mr. Beaver? He said, safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He is the king, I tell you. See, it's a, it's a little picture of what God is like. He's not safe. He's the all-powerful supreme judge, and that is terrifying. It is always frightening to fall into the hands of the living God. But he's good. He's very good. And how good? Well, look at our last verse. Verse 5. For the Lord is good, and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. See how good he is? His love endures forever. His faithfulness goes on forever. That is so unlike us. I mean, just imagine if God's love and faithfulness was as fickle and conditional like ours. Now, how do we love? Well, I'll love you only if you're nice. If you're kind to me, then I'll be kind to you. I mean, that's how we pick our friends, those we like, those we choose to like, those who like us. But if you ever dare to hurt me, lie to me, betray me, be unkind to me, be rude to me, then it's over. This relationship is over. Now imagine if God were to be like that. If God's love was as fickle or conditional. Or, I'll remain faithful to you only if you remain faithful to me. That's often how we think and behave. But if you do anything to bring shame to me, if you do anything to dishonor me, it's over. I mean, just imagine if God's faithfulness was as fickle and conditional as that. But God is not like that. He is good. His love endures forever. That means if he set his love upon you, he will love you forever. Forever and ever. Not fickle like ours. And his, his faithfulness, it continues forever. So if he's promised to save you, then you'll be saved and nothing can snatch you away from his hands. Not even the gates of Hades, we're told in the Bible. And that's why this psalmist can praise the Lord. Now notice that he doesn't praise God because things were good in his life. 
He didn't say, I praise you, God, because this and this happened to me, because you did this for me, did this for me, and did that for me. He doesn't praise God only when things are good. You see why he's praising God? He praises God because God is always good. He praises God because God is always good, always loving, always faithful, never failing, never diminishing. And so this psalmist has the attitude that we should have. Not just when life is good, but God is always good. What he knows, we know as well. In fact, for us now on this side of the cross, don't we in fact know more than this psalmist? I mean, don't we also know God in the face of Christ? This psalmist had no idea of the extent and the sacrifice of God. But we now do. We now know that God moved heaven and earth for us because he is that good. We now know that God would even sacrifice his own son for us because he's that good. We now know that God will watch his son bleed and die for us because he's that good. We now know that God allowed this great shepherd to die for his sheep because he's that good. See, often that's not the picture many people will have about God in their minds. But it is the right picture of God. And that's the wonderful good news of the gospel, isn't it? God is not just God, but he's good. A few weeks ago, our growth group, we organised what we called a mouldy dinner. Mouldy meaning not feeding our guests mouldy, smelly food, but mouldy, M-O-L-D-I, meaning of life discussed intelligently. And the aim of this night was for our growth group members to invite their friends, their non-Christian friends, so that we can have a night, having a nice meal, discussing the meaning of life intelligently. Now, during the night we had many great discussions and laid across the table were little postcards with quotes from atheists and philosophers and Christians. And one of them, one of the favourites of the Christians, was this quote from Timothy Keller. He said, I am so flawed that Jesus had to die for me. Yet I'm so loved and valued that Jesus was glad to die for me. I mean, that's what we now know, don't we? Far more than what that psalmist knew. And so how is it possible that, that we not also join in with this psalmist and praise the Lord, that these words become our words, that my Lord is also God, that my Lord is always good. And so in light of this psalm, Reflecting on this year now, how might you assess this year? Take a moment, reflect on what has happened. Back in January and March and June and August, what has happened this past year? It is very easy for us to, to think like, like a song we have sung in church. As long as you are glorified. Remember this song, Shall I take from your hand your blessings, yet not welcome any pain? Shall I thank you for days of sunshine, yet grumble in days of rain? Shall I love you in times of plenty, then leave you in days of drought? Shall I trust when I reap a harvest, but when winter winds blow, then doubt? And often we Christians behave like that. We think that way, we believe that way, and we behave that way. But that shouldn't be. And so how should we be assessing this year? Well, if it was a bad year, doesn't mean we celebrate a bad year. 
doesn't mean we don't feel the pain of a bad year, but then do we go on to think that this past year, God has stopped loving me? That this past year, God has stopped being faithful to me? That this past year, God has failed me? Do we go on thinking like that if it was a bad year? Or is it at all possible that the God who is all-knowing, all-loving, and all-powerful might have decided in the riches of his wisdom that that was exactly the year that God has decided for you because he loves you more than you know because he loves you even more than you love yourself. And so if we look back then and if we do feel, where has God been this past year? Now I know many of us might feel that way. Just over last week, Christmas, it was meant to be a joy, a time of joy and celebration, but I had many conversations, and two stuck out to me. Two conversations over Christmas. Two chats where two individuals shared of how difficult life was going for them. What was happening in, in what has happened in their year and what's happening in their household, it was just difficult and heart-wrenching just to hear it. But then for them to bear it, I mean, you'll be thinking, where has God been this past year? And so what do you do in moments like that? Well, you look to the cross. And when you look to the cross, what do you see? Do you see a God who gave his son to you, but yet this past year forgot to look after you? Do you see a God who gave his son to you, but yet this past year abandoned you? Do you see a God who gave his son, but this past year failed you? Well, of course not. You see, even when times are tough, God has not stopped loving. And so as we reflect on this past year, now we may never know why things happen, what happened and why they happened until we meet God one day. But perhaps upon deep reflection, see if this happened for you. Because I faced those debilitating dilemmas in life, I, in fact, learnt to depend on God's wisdom more. Because I've faced that difficult trial this past year, I've learnt to trust God more. I now trust God more than I did in January. Because I persevered through that hardship, God has been growing me in my character. I'm far more prayerful now. Because I've been patient in suffering and during suffering, though it was so difficult to endure, God has been growing my godliness because it was so hard to forgive that person. So difficult. That person hurt me so much, but I did it anyway. I learned to appreciate how much more God has forgiven me. Because I've endured that pain, I now live with excited anticipation of the hope of eternity. I mean, can't that be true? Aren't they as difficult as they were? If they produce that in us, isn't that worth praising God for? Even through all the trials and suffering and difficult times? And so isn't it possible that God in the riches of his wisdom, which we do not know, in the riches of his wisdom decided to give us the year that we had for our good? Well, of course it is. And so if that is so, we can join with this psalmist in praising the Lord. 
But of course we praise God not just in the bad times, knowing that things might be difficult, but we praise God in the good times. And we must never forget that all good things comes from God. If I'm sitting here or standing here and I'm healthy, praise God for that. If I can still breathe without thinking about it, praise God for that. If I'm not starving, praise God for that. If I've got work, praise God for that. If I have family and friends around, praise God for that. If I have a wonderful church family to belong to, praise God for that. Or if life is just normal, we must praise God for that as well. I mean, we cannot take anything for granted. And this is something Yvonne and myself, we have to remind ourselves of often. Our life's quite normal, quite bland, nothing exciting, no big overseas trip we're looking forward to, no big achievements we're longing for, nothing where milestones we're waiting for. It's just quite boring and normal. But praise God anyway. You see, all good things come from God. But then like this psalmist, we praise God not just when my life is good, but we praise God because God is always good. Now before Christmas, a few days before, we had a a senior's morning tea at our place and it was a wonderful time sort of enjoying each other's company and hearing of the love of our seniors in this church, the people who serve so joyfully. And one of our elders, he, he shared how much we must thank God for this year, for what has happened. God has been so good to us, to our family, and so if I can wake up and live, we thank and praise God. And we must. That's what we were made for. And so having thought about this year, as we face this new year, whatever may come our way, we face it with this psalm. We don't enter this new year alone, do we? We don't have to carry all our worries and anxieties and stress and burdens all by ourselves, but we remember this psalm. It is my Lord who is God. And he'll still remain God next year. It is my Lord who is good. And he'll still remain good next year. Unceasingly loving. Uncompromisingly faithful. And so my mind can be at peace. My heart can be glad. And my mouth can rejoice. Isn't that the right way to think about this year and the year ahead? And so we can praise God for that. And so that might be something you like to do over morning tea. Ask each other, what is there to praise God for? What are you thankful to God for? Let me share with you what I'm thankful to God for this year. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we know that in joy or in sadness, we pray that you'll teach us to praise you always, that the words of this psalm would be the feelings of our heart, that we will shout for joy to you, our Lord, and worship you with gladness because you're the God who made us and you're good. Your love endures forever and your faithfulness continues through all generations. And so we praise you with all our heart for this year that has passed and we entrust to you with gladness the year that will come. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.